welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm Kate Martin, lead ranger at Formby in Liverpool, and today I'm revisiting the Honeycutt Estate in Exmoor National Park. I was last there two years back to explore a habitat that hasn't been seen in the UK for over 400 years. And today I'll be finding out how the charismatic inhabitants have been getting on and learning about a heartwarming surprise just in time for Christmas. Exmoor National Park occupies almost 700 square kilometres of rugged moorland and shingle beaches. To the north of this area is the Honeycutt Estate, a 32 square kilometre National Trust managed segment of this parkland. Its coastline, ancient woodland and network of rivers make it a wonderland for the outdoor enthusiast. The area that I'm walking through at the moment is sort of a natural bowl where you've got these rolling hills. So there's a real sort of abundance of natural features here. But ironically, it's some of these natural features that contribute to the climate concerns that have plagued this area for decades. I'm Nigel Hester, and I live within the Hanukkah Estate near Allaford. It's a tiny hamlet of about six buildings, uh, lovely cottages, as you can see. And it's an absolutely perfect place to live. There are two river catchments here. The Horner rises high on the moor, and the Aller comes down the vale behind us, and they both meet. Today, actually, they're flowing nice and gently, and it's all very lovely. get a heavy downfall of rain and the water just comes off these steep hills. You just get a torrent coming down. It's looking to spill out and it spills out into the villages, flooding the cottages. The worst one I remember was back in 2000 when most of the cottages in Allaford and Bossington got flooded out. But I remember one cottage, literally the sewer burst and all the effluent came up into the house, completely ruined the whole house. It's the uncertainty of knowing when it's going to happen and then the total disruption to your life. I can see a group of stone buildings, which I assume is the estate office. Hopefully someone there will be able to point me in the direction of Ben Eardley, the estate's project manager, and the driving force behind the flood management scheme that he believes will be able to help solve some of the area's water management issues. Hey, is it Kate? It is. Hey, how you doing? I believe we've got some issues with flooding. Obviously, with climate change, we're seeing more frequent and more extreme weather. But some of the issues are also to do with how the rivers and streams here have been managed. That in itself has caused and does cause issues as well. Now we're learning how we can work with nature to benefit those downstream communities. It would be good to see some of the work you're doing, so uh, any chance we can go and have a look? Yeah, it does get a bit muddy up there, so the only way we're going to get there really is in, is in the gators. This vehicle's fantastic. Go off-road, but we're going on the road as well. Seems to do absolutely everything. It's a great place to appreciate the landscape because it's all sort of open-sided. You can see the villages, you can see people's houses. Obviously, these are the people who are affected by the flooding. But there's also a fantastic landscape and I imagine a real abundance of wildlife. So what effect do these flooding events have on the wildlife? This landscape looks beautiful. 
but it's actually suffered significant declines in biodiversity. So what we'd like to do is to help increase biodiversity, bring some of that lost wildlife back. Ironically, what we'd like to see in certain areas of the landscape is more water. Creating space for water upstream, we can help to reduce flooding downstream. And I also believe that you are doing something a little bit special. Yeah, we've got our own flood engineers, if you like. So why don't we drive on a bit further and I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about. This is a gorgeous spot. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? White, Whiteman's Wood. You can see sort of woodlands around us and a field in front of us. If I take you over there, I can talk you through some of those issues that we, we, we discussed earlier on. We're looking out now over rolling green fields. It's a lovely landscape, but it's not a natural landscape. Before this was floodplain, so the water would move through this field. You'd have had wetlands, streams and ponds flowing down into the main floodplain itself. What we've done to graze these areas is drain that catchment. And you can hear the sound of sort of flowing water. You've got that drainage ditch behind you, but that drainage ditch is there to drain this land so that it can be managed in a certain way. The drawback from that is that that water just moves through the landscape very, very quickly now. So rather than it being soaked up by the field, it just shoots through that drainage channel, straight through the catchment and out into the Bristol Channel. And that's sort of moving really quickly through the land. That's when you then get those sort of flooding events in the villages and, and, and people's properties. Yeah. So is the flood management scheme that you're working on at the moment aiming to reverse management that's happened here in the past? In certain areas, we are looking to reconnect those rivers and streams with the surrounding landscape. We've got some little engineers helping us with that at the moment on the project. If you come with me, I'll take you over to the enclosure where we're implementing a big part of our flood management scheme. Fascinating. This is quite a serious fence. It looks quite severe, but it does let the wildlife in and out. But the workers can't. They're locked in. No, we want them to stay on the job. That's quite concerning. <laughs> oh, I'm intrigued now. I want to see them. Yeah, OK, let's pop in. The easiest way to, to walk through the site is up through the stream itself. It's like Narnia. There is something otherworldly about it, isn't there? I think it's been untouched and unmanaged for so long. Yeah, if you suddenly came across like a woodland elf or a nymph, you wouldn't, you be, wouldn't be surprised. So no. <laughs> so you can actually hear some of the work that the guys have been doing up here, actually. Yeah, it's definitely getting louder, isn't it? That water. Yeah, yeah, is... yeah. So that's some of the work they've been doing. A lot of sticks. Yeah, and that's where they live over there in the hole in the bank. I'm getting the idea these aren't people. No, they aren't people, no. This is a beaver-created dam. We've actually got beaver <gasps> living and working in here. Beavers were quite widespread across much of Europe and also in the UK. During the 16-1700s, they were hunted. There were still concentrations of them in Germany, France and Norway, but at their lowest, we were at the point of almost losing them. My name is Chrissa Brown and I am a PhD researcher looking at how reintroduced beavers affect rivers and streams. We've seen in the UK this real interest in beaver reintroduction and how they could assist in natural flood management. 
as a rodent who lives in water for majority of their life, they're interested in creating and extending their territories. To do that, they create dams. By doing so, this water then spreads out. As soon as you're able to increase and extend that area of water, you attract all of these other species and animals that thrive on that environment. Flies, beetles, bugs, fish, amphibians as well. They create life and through their modifications, they encourage that life to continue to use that environment. So this is where they're starting to dam this area. But you can see all the boulders, yeah. stones, all the woody material, all the earth. That's all material that they've moved. They built all that up. The difference between the sort of stream and the top is what, about four foot, five yeah. foot maybe? And how long has it taken them to build that? They've only done this in the last few months. Really? So, yeah, yeah, so it hasn't taken them very long at all. And you can see we're starting to create wet woodland over there to the right. Before you just have one channel, now you've got a variety of different water habitats. That's absolutely amazing. They are incredible creatures, yeah. I mean, if, if we walk around there a section, you can get a better view of their house. I think we can just track straight through this bit. Just walked up through this holly bush and uh, I'm stood in a pond. Around me, there are trees that are now surrounded by water. It's so different from that kind of rushy, tumbly stream that we've just walked past. The beavers have done this in a relatively short space of time, only a matter of months. So what are you expecting this area to look like in a year's time? The, the guys, they will take on bigger trees and they will affect bigger change. There's somewhere else that I can take you and, and, and show you that really sort of highlight that for you. It's a very different site to this one, mm -hmm. but more exciting in some ways. Right, let's go. Cool. So this is Paddock's Wood, for in look and feel. Wow. The first enclosure that we went to, they, the beavers had created a pool that was tens of metres squared across. Compared to where we are now, it does look like something that you would expect to see, like the Everglades. This pool stretches hundreds of square metres, pretty much as far as I can see. This was all dry before, this woodland. This was just a small channel. That's and now, amazing. essentially, you've got a wetland and you can see, you know, more signs of them felling trees. It's a habitat we've lost in this country. You know, we've lost 90% of our wetlands since Roman time. It's a missing component of the landscape and a super important one. Yeah. It's amazing what relatively small animals can actually do the changes they can make in their environment. It really is quite standard. I can show you some more further down in the site if you want to yeah. follow me down. So that's the, the original beaver dam in the site. So that's, that's what's holding back all that water. That's unbelievable. So that is a, a, essentially a pile of sticks holding that huge pond. They literally constructed this over the course of just a few days. You know, we did a site check one week and the site was just a couple of spring-fed streams. 
and then came in the next week and did our site checks and there was a dam here and a you know a, 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 a big wetland you can obviously see the physical changes that have happened here obviously with the the dam and the the pond and then the stream but what's the sort of environmental impact of this when we have sort of more extreme weather water is flowing more slowly through this environment so that protects communities downstream at drier times when you've got hotter dry weather and perhaps the risk of drought you've held more water in the landscape that's released more slowly so you've reduced the impact of that drought on the local area as well all the stuff that we've seen so far obviously from a sort of environmental point of view and also from a natural flood management point of view is is fantastic but I know myself you, any sort of change you're trying to do any sort of environmental work you're trying to do there are always people who are less keen have you had a lot of sort of complaints I'm of the firm opinion that they're easily managed it just needs to be a common sense approach so if a farmer's has land and beaver move in and start building dams he knows who to call to come and sort that problem out you can put in things called beaver deceivers mm -hmm. or you can relocate the beaver to somewhere else in that encatchment so it just needs to be sensible and thought through and I think the positives far outweigh any of the inconvenience we have to accept for that species being in the wider landscape. It's interesting I think most people would probably think of beavers as kind of wild animals that we don't really have any sort of control over but do you still see them a little bit as a sort of more of a human connection than you would? Do they have sort of personalities? The animals themselves, they've certainly got personalities. And one animal in particular, we sort of nicknamed her Grills. She had sort of quite a hard start in life. Grills was introduced with her mum. Beavers cache food in the pools and ponds to feed on during the winter when times are tough and construct dams. They're big animals when they're fully grown, well over 30 kilos. Some of the bits of wood that they move would be a significant branch for me to pick up, but obviously Grills wasn't at that stage. She was two, three months old, you know, a few kgs. She wasn't going to be carrying out any great feats of engineering. They pick up a lot of the behaviours that they need to survive from other family members, but things didn't work out like that for Grills. Unfortunately... Her mum passed away within a few weeks of being introduced to the site. People didn't give grills much chance of surviving the rest of the winter. Beavers themselves have got no natural predators anymore in this country, but young beaver will, will still be taken by fox. We know there are fox around and about in that habitat, and grills was small. So the fear was that she would be eaten by a fox or that she was simply too small to survive the harsh weather conditions in the winter. Spent a lot of time putting vegetables and fruit into the site to keep her going. We were just checking the camera traps, checking the site regularly, fully expecting to find her having passed away. We were just on tender hooks. We've got several camera traps in the site to check on the, the beaver. We have to go out to the camera traps, uh, download the footage from an SD card, take it back to the office and check. We all sort of hunk around the laptop. When we downloaded the footage from the enclosure that Grills is in, we saw something that surprised us all. We saw footage of Grills trying to construct her own little dam. You know, you'd be stretching it to call them dams. They were sort of gatherings of twigs and branches, but it was good just to know that she was trying her best. She had us in fits of giggles a good few times. She was always trying to carry sticks and branches that were too big for her. She used to do funny little dances and things. 
she tried to hold like two or three parsnips in her mouth at once, as well as a branch, and went nose to nose with a fox on the trail cam. That was quite funny. Time went on, and she survived sort of week after week, and then, you know, more signs of feeding, more signs of other beaver behaviour, more signs of her looking sort of healthy and okay on the camera traps. That's why she's called Grills. It's a bit of a funny take on Bear Grills and Born Survivor, but it's because nobody really gave her a chance, and to everyone's surprise, she pulled through. She's the beaver in here now with the male, Yogi, and they're doing really well. Now, I do realise they are wild animals and there is never a guarantee. No. But do you think there's any chance we might see one? Well, we can potter along to the lodge and I've got a, a thermal imaging camera. That's a good way if they are out and about to spot them. Right, we're going to walk sort of across the back here and then along that bank and their lodge is at the end. So if we're quiet as we walk along there, we've got more chance. show you how to use this before we get down there. So anything bright white is hot. Okay. Okay. I keep quiet. That's their lodge over there, so... Oh, wow, that's amazing. So you can see just all that jumble of wood and stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. their lodge. So you can see the slides of how they get in, and there's a, there's a hole over there as well. Is that a fallen tree? Yeah, a root blade. It's a shame we haven't seen them. It's a little bit early. They're still having a good kit. They're like students. <laughs> students, they like to sort of sleep through the day. Nothing wrong with that. No. So what's the future, do you think, for them here? We haven't really seen grills very much, so we think it's, it's probably pretty likely that she's pregnant. They'll probably have kits in the next few weeks. They'll probably get even busier with the work that they do once they've got sort of a family, as in, mm. you know, male, female and kits. That tends to kickstart another round of sort of mm -hmm. ecosystem engineering, so... Um, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But, yeah, my hope is that in two to three years that we're in a situation whereby, you know, beaver are a more commonplace mm -hmm. species that we see in, um, in our rivers and streams. That'd be good, wouldn't it? That's how Ben and I left Grills, Yogi and the other beavers a couple of years ago. A lot can change in an ecosystem in that time. So Ben's been back to the wetlands to describe the changes to the habitat and the beaver colony, including some exciting news about the growing brood. Hey Kate, so um, I thought I'd give you a bit of an update on the beaver enclosure since you last came a few years ago here at Paddocks. It's changed massively. So whereas before it was sort of quite an enclosed woodland when you were here, it is today brimful of water because we've had so much rain recently, but it's also full of light. The beavers have, have coppiced lots of the trees. And if I move over to one of the fresh dams they built, it's really clear the amount of deadwood habitat that they created. And by that, I mean the amount of trees that they felled. And just like the wetland, it's a habitat that we've lost from most of the UK, really. Uh, and the beaver put that back. And in that are, are lots of opportunities for, for other wildlife. We see otter more often, we see kingfisher more often. There's a huge number of dragonflies and bees and wasps during the warmer times of the year. We've got water vole in here as well, which is really important because water vole are having a really hard time nationally. But here at Hunnicutt, they're doing really well. And in both beaver enclosures now, the water vole are thriving. 
We've been engaging with the local community as well. So every year we've been showing group from the local community around the site. It's lovely to see such a, a wide sort of age group of people. Hi Ben, how's it going? Hey Jack, Jack's our beaver expert here at Hanukkah and he's going to tell you a little bit more about the uh, amazing wildlife we've got here on the site. Our dominant pair in this site is a yogi and grill, so they've, they're still together, they've mated for life, which is really exciting. It's part of a beaver ecology, so those animals pair for the duration of their lifetime. Um, it's a really strong bond and they defend that territory quite fiercely. But we've also got some exciting updates in the fact that we've had kits born in the site um, for the last three years. But it was a super exciting time here for us to have the first beaver born on Exmoor for, well, at least 400 years. The first year kit we had has been born in kind of late spring. We picked that up on our trail cameras. First time we saw this beaver, I actually thought it was a water vole because it was so small. It's one of those moments where you're like re-watching the footage over and over again, just to confirm what you think you're seeing. We decided to run a bit of a competition to name the baby beaver. Um, we put it out onto social media and asked the public and obviously got some really interesting names. But the one that was picked out was uh, Marcus Rashford because with the Euro finals were going on at the time, we were doing really well and then got to the final. So at year two, we've had uh, two more kits born to Yogi and Grills. And then we're moving into year three, which is where we're at now. So this spring we had born two beaver kits in our second enclosure called Moss and Ferns. And in this site, we picked out a single kit this year and that was named Earps, female goalkeeper from the Women's World Cup. So uh, again, the football theme running strong through the, the paddocks enclosure. So I mentioned we'd had a single kit born this year. Well, that isn't entirely true. Um, we, <laughs> when I was out um, one of the evenings with the, the local ranger team, showing them some of the beaver enclosure and showing them some of the things, I saw our single kit sat out in the sort of evening sun on a little island and we were just watching this kit. And as we stood there, a second kit swims up climbs out onto the island and sits next to our single kit. And while that was carrying on, a third kit swam up just from behind and sat there. And I had these little triplets all sat in a row, sort of in the dappled sunlight, feeding away. So it was a really nice moment. We've obviously got this one single kit named Erps, but they've got siblings and we need to come up with some names for these guys going forward. So, I mean, you know, we're in the run up to Christmas now. So it might be really nice if we had a, a bit of a Christmas theme to the names like mince pie and pudding or something like that. It might be a nice, nice Christmas theme to the beaver enclosure. So we stood here with the lodge behind us. We're unlikely to see any beavers today because the animals are crepuscular. They spend uh, most of the sort of early hours of the evening and the night doing their activities. I've got with me today my laptop to just check the SD cards that are scattered around in the trail cameras on the site. And we can um, go through the footage and just see what we see. That's amazing. We've got one of the young kits swimming around with mom. It's really lovely to see these animals just like really interacting. So the, the young kits sit a lot higher in the water than the adults. They're a lot more buoyant. It's, it's a lot more air in their fur. And um, what they'll do is the kits will climb all over mom's back. They'll swim under mom. They'll clamber on top of them. And there's a little bit quite often, but you do see a lot of the wrestling as well. So mom and kits will be like play fighting in the water. All the play is essentially just a, a way of practicing kind of natural behaviors, gaining their strength, getting their confidence up in the water. And you do see mom tell the kits off a lot as well. When she gets a little bit too much, they've got stuff they need to be getting on with. So yeah, it's really nice. They've got proper personalities and um, the interactions between the animals are really, that family bond is really quite strong. It's lovely to see that footage of the beavers and the kits kind of um, using their environment. And um, just as everyone else is like stocking up for Christmas and getting all their gifts in, these guys are doing exactly the same thing and stashing their food in the bottom of the ponds to see out the winter in the cozy lodge.
It's been 400 years since beavers in this country were hunted to extinction. It's really great now to see them thriving, having kits and making a positive impact on the habitat and wildlife, as well as doing their bit to improve flood management and the lives of local people. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. We'll be back with a new series of the National Trust podcast in spring 2024. To get all our episodes as soon as they're released, you can follow us on your favourite podcast app. And while you're there, please do share your ratings and reviews. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Plus, you can catch up with our large back catalogue of audio programmes from the National Trust at nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash podcasts. For now, from all of us at the National Trust Podcast, we wish you a very Merry Christmas, however you choose to celebrate it, and a very Happy New Year.